We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Good morning, Grinders! Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. You can follow me there on Twitter at Blender HD. And this is uh, this is Casual Friday. It's Casual Friday. We're here, we're here casually all the time, anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But Casual Friday, we we'll go over yesterday's slate. It was a little slate. I had a lot of news. For a five-game slate, there was a lot of crap going on. If you made lineups at 11 in the morning, you're dead, right? (laughs) By the time everyone got ruled out. Uh, And then we'll talk a little bit about today's slate. We'll talk primarily about DFS strategy, okay? Because we have nine games coming up. If we talked yesterday about what lineups and what types of strategies, we'd be talking about playing Damien Lillard. Maybe talking about playing Ben Simmons, right? Couldn't do that because they got ruled out. Trey Young gets ruled out, okay? So what's the point? Really, what's the point? Can we just wrap? We could probably wrap up the show right now. What's the point if we're going to do picks and plays? And what are we doing tonight? So it's primarily DFS strategy. And uh, I'm, I'm always here joined by the people in the chat room, in YouTube chat. Hit that thumbs up button. Keep my apple juice cold. I know it's still it's still the Kroger brand. Still the Kroger brand apple juice. Keep it cold throughout the show. Hit those thummy thumbs, the subscribe scribes, and the notification belly bells or whatever. Do, do whatever you click whatever you want at that point. Uh, but we got the people in the chat room. We got uh, B. Jones, Scott Swinford, uh, Steve B., Kevin Copeland. Got some new faces in here, right? We got some new faces in here. Uh, Steve B. just signed up for Lineup HQ for GPP. Okay. You can sign up for Roto Grinders Premium. You get all these tools. Right, you get the lineup HQ, you get the premium projections for NBA, you get Meansy's core plays, you get the Noto's grind down, you get Eric Beinfor's uh, the four factors strategy blog, you get uh, all, all the court IQ stuff, all everything for NBA. So click on the link in the description below and uh, you get ten dollars off your first month. Uh, Matt Mears says that he's been on a down streak. Looking forward to today's show to write the ship. Okay, sometimes you can be on a longer downswing. That's part of playing DFS. You ain't going to win every night. You're most likely actually going to lose more nights than you win in GPP, definitely, right? If you're not losing at least 80% of the time, you're probably doing something wrong, okay? I think that's that's the reality of DFS play. You're not going to win every night. You're not going to min cash every night. You're not going to bink once a week, once a month. You're hoping for that once every couple of months, a year, something like that. That's the reality. I, I bring you a dose of reality. I mean, I mean, maybe like splashing it on your face. You know, you don't want to believe it, but it, DFS is a hard game. It's a hard game. But I mean, if I'm uh, playing cash, though, yesterday we've been just kind of hovering in cash the past two days, right? Not really that much up and down, right? We had some two, two sweeping days, the first and the second. So that, that built up the bankroll, right, up here. And then kind of like just back and forth. Carried mostly by FanDuel, right, as usual. Right. So we're, we're up here. We're up a little, little, little dip, a little kind of just stabilizing over there up 12,500. That's pretty good. Pretty good. 10% ROI, 63% uh, original investment ROI. Still uh, we're in the red in, in, in DraftKings, uh, a little bit in the green and Yahoo and FanDuel carrying the way, but that's why you diversify. 
So some nights it'll be one or the other. Some nights it'll be all three. Some nights you'll lose all three. So just always want to show this is my actual cash game play. So you could follow, you could follow this along with me. Tracker.theoryofdfs.com. And uh, you could take a look anytime you want. Publicly, publicly uh, accessible. All my all my cash game play across the sites. But then, then we've got GPPs. GPPs from yesterday. Uh, GPPs from yesterday were, were interesting because we started the slate at 11 in the morning. Uh, where's the value? Then by lock time, it's, it's almost too much value, right? Trey got ruled out. Lillard got ruled out. Uh, Simmons got ruled out, right? And everyone thought, oh, how, how, without Lillard? How do I how do I play Blazers, right? Obviously, they you know Hood and Anthony and you know, Trent. I mean, he was a little expensive, but I mean, you could have played him. Cantor, like, are they going to be able to keep up with Embiid and the Sixers? Well, it turns out that they blew him out the other way, right? And people are like, oh, I'm scared of the blowout. That's all. Now, the other, the, the team that you thought was going to blow them out, but the other way, they got blown out, right? We saw that with the, the the Mavericks game, right? It was multiple blowouts. I mean, pretty much like the the lowest owned game was the latest game, the Lakers Nuggets game, and that was the only non blowout game. Every other game blew out in some some capacity, early, some a little later, but uh, but basically, if you didn't have Kelly Oubre yesterday, you didn't win. <laughs> Uh, almost 60 points. I mean, he kind of benefited from Wiggins' early foul trouble. Uh, so so, so that helped. Uh, but, uh, and then we saw the, the Philadelphia starting lineup. They played uh, Korkmaz. We thought that Shake Milton would start, and then Korkmaz started, and then Seth Curry started, and then he got sick. And then then it all went to, to hell. Then Embiid uh, got injured, but then he came back in the game. He ended up with like 40 points at the half and then just like didn't do anything in the second half. Uh, the original like value play was going to be Juan Toscano Anderson and uh, and his ownership actually came down because we got Rondo when Trey got ruled out. We got Rodney Hood. We got uh, Carmelo Anthony. So you didn't really need uh, Toscano Anderson, but he was owned. I mean, some some uh, some of these top players did, didn't play that much of him, but he also benefited from garbage time. Right, he got he got a bunch of points in the last like six minutes of the game because he played anyway. Right, we look through all of this and we see that the Utakau won the fadeaway last night. And he did it with only two percent Toscano Anderson, but I mean this fifty-one percent Ubre. Right, he had plenty of Ubre, plenty of Wiggins, Josh Richardson. He didn't get there. Dorian Finney-Smith didn't get there. Kleber didn't get there. It looked like he was playing a lot of uh, stacks of. Uh, full-on stacks of uh, Golden State and the Mavericks. Because we said, is it Luka here, Draymond here, Curry 41%, right? We could go through all of this. Oubre, Wiggins, right? We look through all of this. Like most of his lineups were built around like almost like three twos, two twos, one threes, right? You play Luka and then you play three Warriors, something like that. But he didn't have much discount of Anderson. Right, so he went under, didn't play that much of him, played everyone else. Okay, and still went kind of under on Porzingis also. But he played Richardson in the small forward spot instead, or the shooting guard spot. Okay, that makes sense. So that was his primary lineup construction. Then we have, uh, like, Brick. More of a, a normal, kind of normal approach. One kind of went with projections. Look here, some Finney Smith, some Gobert, Brandon Clark, Danny Green. Because even Utical, look down here, even had some Bazemore, right? He was really betting on that uh, that Warriors-Mavericks game. Then Petty Theft had a m- much more condensed player pool. Kind of shoved in, you know, Rondo, Draymond, Wall, Anthony, Oubre, and then just whatever, whatever he built around it, built around it. Eric Gordon seemed to have more Rockets exposure than most of the field, which is kind of what I did yesterday. I played a bunch of Wall, a bunch of Gordon, a bunch of Kyle Anderson. That didn't work out. What did these guys have in Kyle Anderson? Oh, okay. Not not much, but 6% owned. I took a shot. I took a shot on Kyle Anderson on slow-mo. That didn't get there. Played slow-mo with Gordon, slow-mo with the Wall, played Clark, like those types of combinations. 
Hood got there for his price. Anthony definitely got there for his price. And we take a look at these Portland guys, but really the the the, the Sixers didn't get there. So I played a bunch of lineups with like Embiid plus Anthony plus Hood or or uh, Tobias Harris, which you can see here, like Forsaken kind of went, made a lot of builds like that with the Harris and Embiid, right? Kind of used Rondo and Hood as value, played more wall. Yeah, the, the Forsaken would, would played a lot of lineups that, that, I, that I was building, right? I didn't have as much canter. See here, Wiggins, right? I had a bunch of Wiggins. He had less on Oubre, right? He built a lot of lineups like me. He had Corkmaz and Curry, so he was going on the he was going on the Sixers, Blazers types of stacks for a five game slate, right? Five game slate, you're a little bit more stackable. Tonight's nine game slate, maybe you don't play you know, three two type of lineups, but on a short slate like this, it's absolutely it's probably a positive leverage. In fact, uh, according to Eric, Eric Beinfor in his Slate IQ, which is part of the premium stuff here at Roto-Grinders, click on the link in the description below. $10 off your first month. But he noticed in Slate IQ that, I mean, we'll see this on most short slates where the, the condensed game stacks are positive leverage. On short slates. So 2-1, 3-2, 3-1, those types of things. Not, not seven players, not, you know, not in that four twos, you're not doing that probably. But still, like in that three one, two two, you know, not just one one, because obviously you, there's only 10 teams and eight slots. So obviously you're going to have players from both sides of the game in your lineup at some point. But that's uh, kind of Forsaken's. He went towards that game. Magneto 999 plugged in a bunch of Rondo that didn't have, he made value, I guess. Hood, Carmelo Anthony. Enos Cantor, a bunch of Korkmaz, right? Because Korkmaz was going to be under-owned because of that starting lineup coming out late. I didn't play Korkmaz, but I can understand the switch from Milton to Korkmaz. I mean, Milton coming off the bench was fine. I thought that Milton was perfectly fine, but with the expectation that he was going to start, he was obviously going to be owned in lineups that were made before the starting lineups came out. So once the starting lineups came out, like what, 20 minutes before locked. Now you start like moving your Milton to Corkmas or, or to Maxi or to no one or a Seth Curry or some, you know, or, or just none of them. You go to Tobias Harrison and beat instead. So I can understand that. And we could see even here that, you know, Milton probably would have been much more owned in a lot of these constructions, had it not been for that Korkmaz news to come out. But I think in the lower, even lower stakes contests, he was probably higher owned. Like we could take a look at that. That's, that's something that I want to know. What was Milton's ownership across contests? So you could do that in results DB. This is a free tool. You don't even need to be a premium member. So you go to rotogrinders.com slash results DB. I'm going to go back to the slate, right? It'll load up. I'm going to go to the ownership tab and it'll give you all these contests, but I mean, I can X these out, right? I could look at this and I'm going to go, I'm going to start putting what contests do we have? Let's see. So we need to fade away. What, what was the 888? What was that contest? What was that called? Yeah. Last night. I don't know. I have to almost have to, I have to look. What was that? What was the bigger? Okay. The sixth man, I guess. That was the bigger six man, the fade away. Okay, so you can put it side by side. So we're going to do six man. We have to use the number six. Six man, fade away, the bigger one, the four point play, the biggest four point play. And then don't we have like a, like a, like a dollar mini max? Do we have the mini max? We have the zone. Let's try a mini max, I guess. Four-point play. Yeah, let's try the Minimax. Put them side by side. Minimax, the biggest one. Okay, there you go. So you could compare. Actually, the Minimax tends to be a little bit sharper than the four-point play. Just a bit. So take out the Minimax. So we see in comparison. So now you could look and see the ownership between the contests. So like Milton, for instance. 
type in the search box. Milton was actually higher owned in the in the six man, twenty four percent. Okay, so not much not much of a difference. Then we take a look at Corkmas. See the difference in the higher stakes. Yeah, you know, a little gap. Not as much as I thought. I was expecting. I was expecting more. Seth Curry. Not nah, bad. Not bad. Equal. Right. So that's what you're kind of looking at here. High stakes versus low stakes. Enos Cantor a little bit higher in the high stakes. So you could organize by this. You could sort by just this, and you could take a look at the colors. So the more yellow it is, that means the lower it is. The more green it is, the higher it is. So like, look at the difference in Corkmans right there, right? Even on this is an Eric Gordon. It's actually higher on in the lowest stakes. Donovan Mitchell. You go through here and you, you could see. DeAndre Hunter didn't even play. Why was he in some, I guess he was in some people's dummy lineups in the $600 contest. What happened there? Who, who, who rostered DeAndre Hunter? 2.9%? 3% of lineups? It must have, it must have been someone's dummy lineup. That, that can't be right. Six man has what? How many entries? 836? 836 times 0.03. 25 lineups? Someone must have screwed up. <laughs> That's what I look at, right? I'm like, why is DeAndre Hunter was out? Because even in low stakes, I mean, yeah, 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 a couple, you know, a couple of idiots, right, or something like that. I guess someone with 25 lineups. Can I search for that? I don't think I can. I'd like to know who, who the who the hell, who made a mistake in the in the, in the I mean, it's a six hundred dollar contest. They were in 25 lineups. 3% of lineups, yeah. Hey, I guess I guess high-stakes players could, could mess up also. All right, but you look through here. Like, look at the difference in Bojan Bogdanovic. But this is what I mean by finding the leverage in the contest that you're playing. So, for instance, the difference between the lower stakes 20 entry max and the $600 six-man or whatever that's a 25. It's a, is it a 25? Is it so someone had him in all 25 lineups, I guess? Yeah, 25. So he done, yeah, it has to be like that from logical deduction. Based on the math, he was in 25 lineups and the max entry is 25. So I'm assuming someone that max entered just left their dummy lineup, like didn't lost, you know, just, I don't know, fell asleep or something. Right. Who owned, who owned, who owned DeAndre Hunter? So I guess you can go into results to be, I'm not going to search through it now. I'm just interested. Who screwed up last night? (laughs) Because it has to be a screw up. But this is what you could do to see the difference between the ownerships and the contests. So what could be a good leverage play in one contest isn't as much of one in another. Typically it depends on stakes and the size of the contest. So like Eric Gordon, like at 14% of the four-point play, probably okay. But his value in the 600, the sixth man, was much more because you got him for half as owned. You get more value, more relative value by playing him in the $600 contest than he did in the 20 max $4 contest. Right, even Gobert, like the difference, 3% versus 7%. Yet on the on the high end, you get way more leverage fading Rondo in the $600 contest than you do in the four-point play. Much more leverage. So these, these are these are more likely, you get, since you gain so much relative value, you may be more likely to build a lineup without Rondo or Luca in the $600 contest. Yet in the low-stakes contest, you don't get as, as much of a benefit. So maybe it's more, maybe building Luca-Rondo lineups are, are, are better in the lower stakes because they're not owned enough. So you have to know what contest you're in. This is why I start with the things, you know, the three, the three things, the three things, I'm just calling them things, whatever. Contests, lineups, players. I would say lineups, not players, right? Contests, lineups, players. Most average DFS players think the opposite way. Players, lineups, contests. What players do I want to play? 
Okay, let me build a lineup with that. And then let me put it into a contest. When you really should be thinking, what contest are you in? Look at look at the difference in the ownership. That's going to matter. What's the size of the contest? What's the payout structure of the contest? Okay, now that I know that, now I need to build a lineup that has enough leverage to win that contest. Okay, now that I now that I can visualize that and can conceptualize it, not an exact number, but you know, okay, okay I'm playing a large field contest. I'm going to need leverage. Okay, so maybe I am fading Rondo. Maybe I'm maybe I'm not playing Curry. Maybe I'm find, trying to find a slightly different construction. If you're playing a small field contest, maybe you don't have to do it that much. But once you know what the contest you're playing, then you can think about what type of lineup do I want to build? And then once you figure out the lineup you want to build, find the players that fit that lineup. So you do it the, the opposite way that most average DFS players think. I'm showing you why. Because your assessments are going to be different depending on the contest that you're in. I tried to put, explain this as many times as I can. Some people, take it takes a while. Takes a while. Hit that thumbs up button. Let's see if the, the apple juice is cold. Pretty good. Pretty good. I, I, I could taste the thumbs. Should I, is it, should I be saying that? Am I like Jeffrey Dahmer? I can taste the dummy thumbs. So let's go through some of the YouTube chat. On casual Friday. Let's see. Yeah, people complaining in the chat. You scored a lot of points on FanDuel and didn't cash. Well, boo the set The FanDuel pricing is so soft. It's almost impossible not to score a million points there. Especially with like once, once 17 people around. That's what ends up happening. You have to beat other people. Who cares about the, the, the number of points you score? doesn't matter. As long as it's one more point than the, the the person you're playing, it doesn't matter how many points you score. Uh, Steve B asks, but that should, probably should go over a video I did yesterday. For GPPs under build rules in lineup HQ, how many uniques would you suggest? And can, can you explain the max total sh- lineup percentage be set at? There's no correct settings. What lineups do you want to make? What diversification do you want to have in your lineups? You need to you need to tell it that. My diversification may be different from your diversification, depending on the lineups, that, depending on the contest you play versus the contest I play versus how much risk do I want to take on today? Think of it like a stock portfolio. What stocks do I buy? Well, how many, you could buy one stock with all your money. You could do that. You'll have all your risk in one thing. You could buy 7,000 stocks. And now you barely have anything in anything. Sure, you could do that. You're probably not going to make a million dollars doing it that way because you're only get, making marginal gains along along the edges. There's probably some medium in between. That's not better or correct. It's just a matter of how, how much risk do you want to take on? What are your goals? Just like with a stock portfolio. I'm looking to double my money in a year. Well, now you're probably taking on risk of your stocks. Oh, I'm looking to save up for my retirement 25 years from now. Well, now your risk profile from the beginning of your portfolio to the end of your portfolio is going to change, right? If you're 25 years old, you're you're willing to take on more short-term risk because you have, you know, you have 40 years before you're going to be taking taking it out of your IRA. But if you're 62 and you're close to retirement, you're probably putting, you're you're probably playing cash lineups in the stock market right? Probably lowering your risk. Neither is correct. Neither is right or wrong. What are the goals? So like how many uniques? Do uniques, all uniques do in lineup HQ is give you diversification, less or more. Number of unique players, which means what's the difference between lineup one and lineup 10 and lineup 100? You build 100 lineups with unique players one, that means the differences between the lineups could only be one player. You're playing the same seven players and then one guy is different. Then the same seven players and another guy is different. So your lineups are going to be very correlated to one another, which means if they, if one does well, they probably, a lot of them do well. But if one does bad, a lot of them do bad. You set it at two. Now you get a difference of two players. You get more diversification, three, even more diversification, five, the most diversification. How many players are you playing in your pool? How many, what type of lineups are you building? 
the larger the pool, most likely the more diversification that you'd want. If you want to lower your risk profile, if you're going all in on a game, if you're all going, I'm stacking this game yesterday, you may have had unique players one. Just say, I'm playing, I'm playing Dallas Golden State. I'm stacking three, two, and I'm just rotating other guys around it. Well, then, then your diversification is going to be low. That would, that would be your strategy for that slate. You're, you know, you're taking on a lot of risk. If that game doesn't get there, most of your line, pretty much all your lineups are dead. That's what you decided to do yesterday. Maybe you decided on the one of the other games. That's fine. Maybe you decide a bit of bit of each. So maybe you have a little bit more diversification. But there's no correct number. What are you doing? We see in results DB. We go back. Can I even go back? Where where am I going? Contest. Go to the fadeaway. Can do I still get no? I don't know. It goes away. I can't even save it. But we saw some play, petty theft had a very condensed pool. Had one strategy, built a lot of lineups like that. And then we saw like uh, other other players that had a much more wide, made a lot of different types of lineup constructions. So obviously the number of unique players between the lineups will go up. Neither is right or wrong. They decided to do that on that specific slate. And it's not, and it's not just the users. Some slates, Papa Gates has, is, is very condensed. Some slates, he's not. Sometimes you feel like a nut. Sometimes you don't, right? So it's not just one thing you always do. You have to look at the slate as a whole, as a whole and then you have to determine how much risk you want to take on. So these the, all these settings do is just tell it tell the line tell the optimizer what 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 is what is your what is your strategy, what is your diversification. To related to the stock market, you're telling your broker right if you have a broker. What type of portfolio you want to put together? They're going to tell you that you could put together a thousand different types of portfolios. Do you want a risky one? Do you want slightly? Do you want in this sector and that's like. You have to tell it. There's no right answer, but what what do you want to do? That's what that's what the settings are here for. So don't don't look for what's the right settings. You're just going to be going to be chasing your tail. Hand build lineups. See what types of lineups you want to build, and then now you're telling Lineup HQ to build those lineups for me. Going through the YouTube chat. Alexander D. Malkow, how do I get to this page on results DB? I don't know, the ownership breakdown with the players? If you go to the individual contest, okay, the screen that I was on that showed all those play, all the all the users, you go to the contests. You click on the contest that you want to go to, fade away, right? You see all these, the winning lineups. Click over here to ownership. You go to ownership. So now you see the ownership on this side. You could search for whatever, you know, players here. But here, here's all the users. So here you could sort by anything you want. I click on a checkbox, it'll give me Uticao right here. With his exposure in 150 entries. And I can put them side by side. Here's Bill's fan. Raging Phillip. Nilknarf. Brick step. You know, I could do click on as many as I want. And now obviously they scroll like this, but if I don't want to see this part of the screen anymore, I click this button and it says toggle full screen. And now I, there you go. Obviously, before the show, I set this up because I, I do a little bit of preparation. So you're not watching me click on names and go through and go, oh, look at that. Oh, that, but that's what I would normally do in the morning. I would click through a bunch of names and see, okay, they build these constructions and those constructions. And, oh, that's interesting. You know, get a sense of what did they do in comparison to what I did in my lineups. Even if I didn't play the 100K fade, I didn't play this contest. But through exposures, I could see constructions. So I'm like, what types of constructions? Sometimes if you go to the, the smaller field contest, it's hard to see constructions just through exposures. You have to go to individual lineups, and it just takes takes more time. But sometimes I do do that. Go through individual lineups and go, hmm, interesting. But I, get, I have enough experience going through Results DB to just look at exposures and go, oh, they built a lot of lineups that look like that. Just like with Utica, with those uh, the Mavs, Warriors stacks. I can just tell just by the numbers. Like it adds up to 
Like these, they, he had to have had four of these guys in like almost every lineup based on how the numbers laid out. But this is how you get to it in results DB, which you don't need premium for. They should put it behind premium, but they don't, right? Hey, give you a free tool. This is the best learning tool you could ever have. I mean, this is, this is how I learned how to play DFS. Even before results DB, you could download CSVs. You could look at top players' lineups. That's, that's how I learned. About five and a half years ago. Okay, I'm going to play. And then I'm, oh, I see all these guys always near the top. Oh, they're on their RG leaderboard. Because I was a Rotobrander subscriber. Well, let me start taking a look at their lineups. Even if they lost, just like how did they build? Oh, that, and then in the beginning, you're like, why did they play this type of lineup? Why did they, I don't get this. I don't get that. And then you learn. And then you start building lineups that are closer to theirs. You're like, okay, I'm on the right track. And then you learn to evaluate that in results DB. So you don't have to download a CSV and you don't have to go lineup by lineup. You don't have to spend three hours doing it. You could spend 20 minutes, sometimes five minutes. Sometimes I go through this in five minutes. Sometimes I'm like, okay, just, just wanted to see. Just like with the Shake Milton Corkmas thing, I wanted to see how many people pivoted from Milton to Corkmas. What was the, what was the ownership gap there? Right, The ownership gap was uh, what, 24 to six. So yeah. So that, that was worth doing. If, it, if, if I wanted to, uh, I should have done that. But I didn't. Do I consider that a mistake? Not necessarily, but maybe I should have been more aware. So I still played Milton, and I didn't play Corkmans. And I didn't play Curry. I, didn't, I, I wasn't playing Seth Curry because he was 4,600. Milton, at least, was, what, 3,800? Corkmans was 3,500? So maybe I should have done that. But if I saw the ownership on Corkman is almost close to Milton, like if they were both like 17% together, then I'd be like, okay, I guess people moved. I guess people moved. So that's what I do. Study. Let's see. Go through the YouTube chat some more. Let's see. The YouTube box always, always when I scroll, it goes all the way to the bottom. Let's see. Milo Kaminsky says parlay picker is the one who played 25 Hunter lineups. Interestingly, it's not the same lineup. Really? Parlay picker? Let's take a look at that. In the sixth man. Only because I'm interested. Because, I mean, like, he was out. Like, it's not like it was a surprise. So in the $600 contest, $600 times 25 is 15,000 bucks. Just burned 15,000 bucks. Really? Parlay. Can we even see his lineups? Did anything come up in the top that we could even see? Right, we get nothing because if they didn't place any lineups up there, right? So we have here. And I get I get a blank screen. Right. I think we broke it. We broke parlay picker broke it. Yeah, if, if we don't even place, if there's a lineup that doesn't even place out of, of their set, then I don't think we show anything. You'd have to go in the actual CSV. So let's see. Can we do it? No, no, we can't. Right, because it didn't place anything. But according according to Milo Kaminsky, it was, it was parlay picker. But they were different lineups. Like that, that's the thing, that's the thing, that's the thing that blows my mind. Like a lot of times what you do is you build one dummy lineup and you enter it into everything. And then you're going to overwrite that in your CSV. So it'll be the same lineup 25 times. So I get it. If it's that I've, I, it's, I've done it before. Okay. Every top player ever. I've seen it before. Oh, why well, 150 train of just some random lineup. That means they didn't get their CSV in time. Something got screwed up. Their internet went out. Who knows? They fell asleep. Something like that. So it happens. Rarely do you see that. It's like, oh, you have a player that's like literally out in 25 out of 25 lineups, and it's not the same lineup. Like he built 25 lineups and had 100% DeAndre Hunter. I have no idea. But, I mean, basically just threw away $15,000. Thank you. Thank you from the DFS ecosystem, Parlay Picker. I've never even heard the guy's name. Guy could be anything, could be whatever. Parlay picker. 
Do we have him on the do we have him on the on the board? I don't want to shame him, I guess. Just interested. Let's take a look. Is he a roto grinders? Is he on the parlay picker? Let's see. Oh no, we got him. We got him. Oh, okay. No, he did fairly regular player, right? Something must have screwed up. Okay. It happens. It happens to the best of them. Right, it happens to the best of them. It's on FanDuel more. I guess he has some big wins here. So it's a, not not a not a noob or anything. But I guess I guess I guess stuff happens. Crap happens. Well I don't know. Where I thought he was in. I have no idea. His projections he'd forgot. He projected DeAndre Hunter without realizing that he was out. I guess it could happen. Let's see. Uh Uh, JP Johnson, 689. Hi, my subscription with unnamed uh, other site ended today. I'm leaning to unmoving to Roto Grinders. Can you tell me which subscription is the best or would you recommend for a casual player? Well, I mean, if you, if, if you need to use an optimizer, then obviously, obviously you need to, I mean, does, does, there's only one subscription because Roto Grinders premium, right? If you're just going to play NBA, then just buy the single sport going to play multiple sports then buy the combo premium then other than that there's no there's there's no other subscription there's no there's nothing else there's nothing else to get right you get everything it's all in one so you get all the content you get all of everything all the premium shows all the everything so i don't know what would that would be the best that would be the only it's the best and the only if you're gonna play mlb you could always you could remember you could always you know have a single sport and then upgrade to combo premium you could so if you're just playing NBA now, you don't need combo premium. Just do that when baseball starts. So you have both of them. And then when you're just playing baseball, maybe you downgrade to just baseball for those months. Or you just pay for the year in advance. You could do that also. But if you're a casual player, if you're not playing as often, then I probably wouldn't prepay for an entire year because you never know. Three months from now, you may get sick of this, right? You know, who knows? Or you can subscribe for one month we read, I mean, read everything we have passed we've ro- all the roto academy stuff is included you have all the videos there's ton you could go through like 80 hours worth of videos of strategy and how to use stuff and then cancel and go okay got it you could do that also so is there a best no i i was i was a roto grinder subscriber before i was uh, doing this show being a host i was in the discord as a normal, I had a green name like everyone else's. So I eat my own dog food. Uh, semi-kosher production says, I faded Juan Toscano-Anderson because I overreacted to the recent news. Let me grab that window again. The recent news. Injury news before lock. How do you handle big injury news but keep some of the original values like Juan in your lineup? By deciding on it. And one was fine. I played some one. But one was also going to be owned because, you know, this late news happens. Most of the time, if you're playing lower stakes, especially, people don't react to late news uh, quickly enough. They built their lineup, stay like, I'm done. So in the long run, not just yesterday, in the long run, you're probably more be probably more profitable in the long run to react to late news and get those guys in your lineup than keeping the the previous value in. So yeah, like if, if it wasn't for like Lillard being out and, and Trey being out, Juan Toscano Anderson would have been like 50% off. Right? You wouldn't have had Carmelo in the power forward spot. Right? You wouldn't have had that. You would have used Toscano Anderson. In Tufa, you would have used him and Draymond Green. But a lot of people don't react to late news. So you can, you could decide, oh, I'm going to keep some Juan Toscano Anderson. But just understand, I think, I think, I think it's, it's in your benefit. If there's late, when I mean late news, I'm not talking about news at like three o'clock in the afternoon. I'm talking about news at like an hour before lock. I'm more likely, once I saw Simmons was out, I'm more likely to start jamming in 
uh, Milton and, and Harris and stuff like that. Like Lillard was out earlier in the day. Okay, so I think most people adjusted for that. But the Trey news? Like, yeah, they played Rondo, but I played a bunch of Cam Reddish. I mean, he only got 20 points, but Reddish was only like 6% owned. I'm going to lean into something like that more times than not than play like what the original best value was. So I don't think he did anything wrong. There's not a right or a wrong type of thing. I just think in the long run, especially at low stakes, benefiting from late news and, and overreacting to it is probably more profitable in the long run. Casey Wasik asks, any tips for visualizing builds on DK? I do a lot better with FanDuel because of the rigid positions. I can see how I want to build a bit easier. DK is a bit overwhelming with different positional eligibility. I think DK is actually easier because you could fit all the value in if you want, pretty much. Right? So visualizing DK to me is the easiest. Like yesterday, I mean, let's go to yesterday. Where's the ownership? Okay, just whatever, whatever this is, right? Yesterday, you knew Rondo, Hood, Draymond, Anthony, like start building those lineups, right? You have cheap Rondo, Green was 5K, Hood was 3,800, Anthony was only 4,900. And you go, okay, well, I'm paying down at these spots, which means I could pay up for Luca and Embiid or something like that, or Curry and Embiid or have Cantor and then play Luca and Curry together. Like you could just visualize that because I don't have to worry as much about the positions. If there's three guard values, I could play all three of them. If there's three point guard values on FanDuel, you can't. You can only play two of them at most. And the pricing is softer. So the value may not even be necessary. On DraftKings, the value is necessary more times than not. So you could you could picture a Rondo. So your cheap guards would be Rondo, Hood, in the in the small forward spot, because you take a look and say, where's the small forward? Eh, there's really nothing else available. So he's probably going to be in the small forward spot. Rondo in the point guard spot. Draymond in one power forward spot. Romello in another power forward spot. You're going to need to pay up in, in basically two spots. And, and they could be center or a guard. Because you're going to be playing Anthony and Draymond in the forward spots. So there you go. You visualized it. You're done. Probably Luca. Embiid, Curry, two of those guys. And if you're not playing Embiid, you're probably playing Cantor in the center spot. And there were some constructions where you could play Green in the center spot, but then you had to find, then you had to play someone like Ubre in the power forward or Porzingis. There were some lineups like that. So you're doing some type of construction like that, but it's easier on DraftKings to me because who are the best values of the slate? I could probably play them all in my lineup. There's three value centers you can because you can only play two on DraftKings. But there's enough slots with and multiple positional eligibility that you could typically, typically play all the values. So think of that construction. Think of that construction. That's going to be the chalk construction. Or you could just run it and line up HQ. Like we have our 1003 projections. Just run it. Okay. Maladon, Levine, Baisley, Sabonis, Vooch, Diallo, Jackson, Reed. So yeah. It's going to be another OKC chalk day, right? And the Pacers guys are a little under under underpriced still, eighty six hundred for Sabonis, right? And you can start fitting these guys in. Go well, Maladon, Baisley, Diallo. They're going to take up some gardens, small forward spots. Sabonis and Vooch. I mean, like there you go. You visualize it. There's one with Russell Westbrook. So you're like, well, if I pay down at center, then I could pay up at small forward for like Butler or something like that. So you could do the two V twos in your head. Something that comes through experience. That's why I say, go to lineup HQ and just run lineups. Go, oh, okay. That see who the value is and go, like I take a look at this and I go, okay, I'm going to see a lot of Vooch, Diallo, Sabonis, Maladon. I see who's at the top of RGV and I go, okay, Baisley's going to be in who's cheap here. Right. Maybe some Butler, some Levine. I mean, like it's gonna be it's gonna be a bunch of these guys. So I know what to expect and I see what positions they're at. 
I'm like, okay, so there'll be some Westbrook lineups, some Brogdon lineups because he needed a point guard. Maladon may be in the point guard spot and then Diallo in the shooting guard spot. So we'll need a small forward. And that's where Butler comes in or Kawhi or something like that. So you just look at that sort by RGB and just look most likely chalk lineups will look like whoever's here. And because of all this multiple positional eligibility, you could fit most of them in. FanDuel, you have to make trade-offs. But FanDuel may be like easier to visualize, I guess. But DK, it's easier to accomplish. So it's like wherever the value is, you could probably play it. Let's see. People are wondering, it could have been a spreadsheet error with the parlay picker guy where he thought he had someone else in the spot but copy-pasted the wrong ID. Maybe. You could put the names there, though. I mean, you could use the player IDs, but I use the, the I, my CSV. It's the player name and the ID in the parentheses. I'm just cutting and pasting from line of HQ, so I don't know. You screwed up. People screw up. Let's see. Rick Osters asks, have you noticed anything in your studies of top player lineups that is more common to their bills versus less successful players? Yeah, leverage. Right, that's that's the number one thing. Most, most average players in large field GPPs don't build lineups with proper leverage. They either go way too far or way too little. And if you have way too little, that means you have very little chance of ever winning. You'll min cash more often. They're building lineups that look like cash lineups. And then you have the opposite end of like, I'm going to fade all the chalk and play eight, 2% on guys. Like that's, that's the, yeah, you had tons of leverage and your median projection for that lineup is like 50 points under everyone else's. Like you probably had rarely ever going to win there and, and you're not going to min cash. So that, that's the difference. That's why study using results DB, you're looking for, how do they build constructions with leverage? Finding leverage, you can do it a hundred different ways, but they did it in certain ways. They go, okay, they find it here. They found it there. They found it this way. You may have found it three different ways. Okay, that's perfectly fine. How do I build lineups that still have a high enough projection, but are going to be different? Different enough for the size of the contest. That's what top players do. Less successful players think of, who do I think is going to do well today? Let me try to jam them into a lineup. There's no game theory behind that. You're just, you're, you have a crystal ball. You're trying to predict the future. That's that's not how DFS is played. Kai Roach asks, is Roto-Grinders rating instructive on how good you are performing versus the field? Not necessarily. Most of the Roto-Grinders leaderboard rankings are volume-based. So obviously the more volume, the more chances you get points. So, so no. Roto-Grinders, and also it doesn't even have to do with cash games. So you can be a great cash player and not be anywhere near on the leaderboard. So no, it's uh, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't consider the Roto Grinders rankings to be any type of thing where it's like well if someone's seventeenth and I'm seven hundredth that that makes that much of a difference depends on the stakes that you play it's weighted for volume and it's weighted for stakes so if you if you're playing if you're playing the fifteen hundred dollar contests you get more points for those so like that inevitably ends up happening. Uh, Jacob Calloway, is there a mathematical way to determine how correlated lineup A is to lineup B to optimize lineup diversification when MME? Yeah, I mean, just how many players, how many players are the same between each other? This, this lineup has shares four players with this lineup. This play, lineup shares six players with these six players. We don't have that in lineup HQ. That would be a useful tool, I guess. Right? I'm not sure if any optimizer has that where you could see like on the output, like on the output here, like the 10 lineups, like it'll show me that I have a hundred percent Maladon, hundred percent Vooch, hundred percent Diallo, hundred percent Jackson. So obviously these 10 lineups are all at minimum a four V four, right? At minimum, because it's shared by all of them. I mean, like all of the lineups have it, but how many lineups are shared? How many lineups are shared with seven of the same players? six of the same players, five of the same players. Maybe that'll give you more of an insight into your your total diversification. 
So obviously you could set unique players one, unique players two. Like once you set it on one, that means two lineups could share seven players. On two, two lineups could share six players, five players, four players, three players. But this is just like a max, right? A minimum and a max. So number of unique players, two. But it could also be three. It could also be four. It could also be five. That's just like the, the, the minimum of two. The minimum of one. So you could set it at one and you could still get lineups that have five different players in it. But it doesn't show you that. Like if you're building a lot of lineups, maybe that's more beneficial. So you could see. Show, I mean, we do that in baseball. When MLB comes back, it'll show you like stack the stack combinations. We don't have that in anything else. Now, that would be useful to some extent. No, I mean, because the mathematical way is just like, it's the R squared of between two lineups that have to share the players, right? Four out of eight would be 0.5, right? That would be the correlation coefficient. So these two lineups, like, look, look at the top two lineups. They share these four guys. Well, they, this one has Vooch. Vooch is in all of them. Is Baisley in both of them? Baisley, Baisley. So that's the fifth guy. Reed and Reed is the sixth guy. And then it's a 2v2 of basically Levine and Sabonis for Brogdon and Westbrook. So these two lineups share six players. Unique players too. Like that, that would be the setting. Unique players too between these two lineups. But instead of like Russell Westbrook, this could have been another guy. It could have been anyone. So maybe it would be useful. I mean, you could do that in Excel. You could download this to Excel and you could do, you could, you can do that, but it doesn't show you here. Maybe useful. Let's see. Through the YouTube chat. Drew DP asks, as someone who reviews results DB daily, how often would you say the top lineups or players utilize all 100% of salary? That's, it's close to it. In NBA, you're more likely to do it. On the shorter slates, maybe you leave a little salary. Not on purpose, but you set your minimum. A lot of times the minimum salary is like 49.7 or something like that. But you're more likely, especially at a large slate, to use most, if not all, of your salary. But I can understand not setting it so you have to use 50,000 because then you eliminate some builds that you can make, right? The last guy in your build is, you know, Jimmy Butler is 8,300 or something, right? He's 8,300 today, right? Something like that, right? 8,300. But you have 8,400 left in the utility slot. Well, it's automatically going to be a Levine if you set it, set it for, you have to use all of your salary. So you can't get a lineup that's 49.9, but has Butler. So maybe that's why you don't set it. So you have to spend literally all of your salary. But I probably wouldn't leave a thousand. I wouldn't leave two thousand on the table. Not in basketball. More doable in baseball. In more event-driven sports. Brandon Stinson says, in the number one lineup last night on FanDuel, it had seven of nine players I played. Problem is, I had them spread out between my three lineups. Didn't have Gordon or Oubre in any. Yeah, sometimes sometimes that's what happens. Sometimes you're like, oh, I had all those guys, but in the wrong lineups, right? You make three lineups, and it's like, oh, if I, I could have made that one that won, but if I just did that instead, it happens. That's normal. Let's see couple of questions final questions coming in into the youtube chat if you're listening on the podcast hi podcast people i don't know why i'm waving to you you can't see me rate and review the roto grinders dfs pregame show podcast on on on, on itunes because most of it is t- it used to be the daily fantasy fix feed with dan bach and all the reviews are how, how he's great none of the reviews are about how i'm great so so review it there if you can Oh, let's see. But people are talking in the chat in amongst themselves. I don't even need to be here. They're talking in the chat itself. 
Scott Swinford asks, what setting makes it so no games get postponed? Uh, no, no, there's no setting for that. Then we, maybe we should add that in the bill rules. Exclude all canceled games that we don't know about yet. Are there going to be canceled games tonight? You know, real. I mean, you never. I mean, I, why do I bother saying it? You, you never know, right? We got a full slate. We got nine games. Two at seven. Two at seven thirty. Two at three. Three at eight. One at nine. One at ten. So not many late games. So hopefully, uh, I mean, Boston. The, the the Boston Clippers game. That game shouldn't be chalky. Detroit Phoenix probably won't be chalky. Probably the chalkiest game is going to be the OKC game. So that's an eight o'clock game. Of course, well, you know what's going to end up happening? That's going to be the game that gets canceled. And now we're just like, who the hell do we play now? Right? <laughs> now there's no value. Right? But you never know. Right? The injury reports start coming out 1.30 Eastern and then 5.30 Eastern. We'll get something. Every day, it's the same thing. Every day. 11 in the morning. Oh, there's no value. Six hours later. Oh, my God. There's too much value. I mean, like, and you don't even know what it's going to be. You don't even know what it's going to be. But you know I'll be here. Jack Smith keeps on asking the same question. There's a reason why I ignored it. Is there a good range for RGV total for FanDuel on a large GPP? No, there's one thing has nothing to do with one another. RGV total doesn't, that, that, that would be a cash lineup. RGV is a plus minus value. It's not an actual, oh, I got 11 plus eight plus three. Like that doesn't, doesn't work that way. RGV is just a plus minus on the median for that salary. So most likely a lineup that has a high RGV is a cash lineup. If I press optimize right here, 298.65 with all these players, if I added up the RGV for all these players, it's probably the highest. That's the whole point. You're trying to, you're trying to build for median. RGV is directly related to the median for their salary. So in a large field GPP, you would you would likely never play a lineup that has the most RGV if that was a thing, if you added it all up. <coughs> that's why that's why I ignored the question, because it, the question itself doesn't make sense. It's like asking, like, how many apples would you eat uh, before doing your taxes? Like, what does one have to do with each other? One doesn't have to do with the other. So how many blowouts are they going to be tonight, right? Last night, there was four out of five. We're pretty much blowouts. Can we, maybe seven out of nine will be tonight. Who knows? And it won't be the ones that you think. So like when people are like, oh, it's going to be a blowout. Oh, the Sixers are going to win by 20 against Lillardless, Lillardless, Dameless, the Blazers. No, the Blazers blew them out, right? Oh, the Warriors, oh, they're kind of thin. They're running with nine guys. Luca, he's going to have a field day. Nope, Mavs get blown out. <laughs> you never know. So don't, I don't, I don't even bother trying to predict it. I don't even care what the spread is. Oh, Milwaukee's going to blow out the Cavaliers. You can see the, the Milwaukee's gotten blown out before. You never know what's going to happen in NBA DFS. You just want to build lineups that are plus EV. Chris is investing asks, does the ownership projections catch up the news? Do you find it accurate? Yeah, it's pretty accurate. Obviously, b- before lock, when it's like Simmons is out and this thing, I mean, the 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 accuracy of the ownership is going to is going to be much wider because you don't necessarily know as much about how the field is going to react. The less and less news there are, the more accurate the ownership projection is going to be. I use these ownership projections, so that's should that be a testament to how accurate they are? I don't. I I use the ownership projections. But sometimes I do see it like, nah, I think he's going to be a little bit more owned. Nah, I think he's going to be a little bit low, lower owned. But I'm doing that more for human psych- psychological factors than a mathematical sense. Like mathematically, this guy should be 18% owned, but I think he'll end up being more like 26% owned. Like so that, but that comes through experience. I, I look at Twitter. I, re- I read some articles, look at some podcasts, and I go, oh, okay. This guy's getting buzz. Probably shouldn't as much buzz as he's getting. So mathematically he should only be 18%. So he's, but he's going to be a little bit more owned. Like that's the type of thing. It's very hard to factor that into a model because the model doesn't, 
not going around, going around the town, seeing what people are talking about, right? You can manually adjust it if you want. Rick Osters asked, do you ever look at percent of ownership over an entire lineup as too high or low for GPP or only on individual players? No, the whole lineup. The whole lineup is what matters. The individual players don't matter at all, right? There's no ownership now, but there's going to be an ownership some. If you build 10 lineups, you're going to see, here's P owned, you're going to get a total there. It's called ownership sum or cumulative ownership. It's not the best judge. You'd rather have a product, which is multiplying all these numbers rather than the sum. But it's a, it's a nice blunt guideline of how owned the lineup is going to be. So your goal in GPP is to get a high projection with low ownership, right? You're not going to get the high, and typically the highest lineup is going to be also be one of the highest owned. So you're trying to find lineups where you're going to sacrifice a bunch of projection to get lower ownership and the relation between them. That's, that's the key to GPP. The individual players in and of itself don't matter. How do I get from my projection down, sacrifice median to get leverage, to get ownership discount? And where's that range? Where the line, where that balance is good for the contest that you're playing. And then you build lineups like that. One lineup could have Vooch, one lineup could not have Vooch. They could both have the same projection, similar ownership. One could have Sabonis, one could have Brogdon. One could have, there are multiple combinations to get that type of lineup. That's what I mean by lineups, not players. Cairo says you and Brick75 should have a debate on if single players matter. He says the opposite. He does? He doesn't say the opposite. Ownership on single play. Of course, it matters in the span of building a lineup. Of course, it matters. But I'm looking at the lineup as a whole. Like, you, as long as the players own, the better projected the player is at the lower ownership, he's going to fit into more lineups. So, yes, I'm more likely to be playing players that are inefficiently owned because they will give me leverage without sacrificing projection. So, it naturally happens. You don't have to worry about it. I don't think we're so. We say the same exact thing. I've watched Brian's stuff all the time. We, we we talk. We say the same exact thing, maybe in slightly different ways, but we're 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 essentially giving you the same exact concept. And that's what we do here on this show: concepts, not picks. Who knows what's going to happen tonight? We don't know. I hope the OKC game plays, or it should. But would that that would make it a harder slate? The OKC game that means. Maybe maybe we'll just get a ton of value anyway, right? Do I want to play Justin Jackson? That's what happened the last time, OKC. We got Justin Jackson, and I still didn't play him. Good, but I don't want to play him tonight. So uh, hit the thumbs up button on the way out. My apple juice is doing... Okay. Okay, if you get a lot out of the show, hit the thumbs up button. Uh Hit the subscribe button. We have Grinders Live tonight. Grinders Live at 5.30. Crunch time for premium members with Roth and Meansy uh, at 6.30. You can always download the RG app, the Roto Grinders app. Get all the news notifications. Get the, you know, when the shows go live. Uh, everything, you want, everything you ever wanted to know is going to be in the RG app. And you can always, all these concepts that I'm talking about, or in my in my course. Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. How to think like a professional DFS player. It's a 15-hour audio masterclass. It applies to any sport. So if you, if you want to know more about this, if you want to have a resource guide in your pocket, right? If you want to list multiple, people have listened to this multiple times and they get better each time they listen to it. Because all the fundamental concepts of expert level DFS gameplay. So pick that up at theoryofdfs.com. I've gotten tons of feedback that, you know, oh, now I see DFS in a whole different way. Right. And then you, and then you get better, right? And then you get an email saying, I won this contest. I won this contest. I, I've been playing for five years and I've been playing like garbage until I got your course. And now actually, now, now I'm making money. Oh, really? 
when you treat it like a game, when you treat it like a math game and not a game about sports, then, then you start getting better. So go pick that up. Theoryofdfs.com. And, uh, and that's it for the week, right? A decent week. You guys had a decent week? I don't know. Let's see what happens tonight on the nine-game slate. Uh, hopefully, hopefully no games get canceled, but uh, we'll talk more next week on the DFS pregame show here on rotogrinders.com. Thank <laughs> you.